Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Miles, on another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please like and subscribe. If you're enjoying what you see, please make sure to hit that notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live as we're constantly adding new episodes, doing cross-streams with other channels, and adding just new programming. Like we're going to do a show this Friday. So you got to hit the notification bell so you're notified. Also, before we start, I want to remind people that tickets are available for the live meet and greet for the book launch that I'll be doing in the San Francisco Bay Area. I might even be joined by one of our guests today. Ben Burgess, I think, is coming up with me. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but the book is out wherever you are watching or listening to this show. There are links in the description to get tickets to the show. It's going to be a fun, intimate affair. Chris Contos from Machine Head is going to be there. Sorry, Chris, your name was spelled wrong on the original flyer. It has been corrected. Please don't be mad at me. Machine Head Forbidden, the boneless one's attitude adjustment. Craig LeCicero, that played in Death, definitely in Forbidden. And the boneless one's also Man Made God, Ricky Nolt from Exodus. Original guitar player in Exodus. Gonna have a fun talk. Definitely gonna have some questions. Afterwards, I look forward to seeing your face in the place. Now that we got that out of the way, let's bring in our guests. Coming all the way live from a fancy house with a magical toilet in Orange County. Please welcome University of California Irvine professor, Catherine Liu. Hi, how are you, Jesse? I'm I'm okay. And also joining us, professor at the University of Illinois, Urbana. That's the campus he's at. No, not Urbana. Champaign? No. He's, he's saying something. I can't hear him. Whatever it is, it's a small town in Illinois. He was filling a quota. <laughs> Definitely. Was. And he thinks that allows him to culturally appropriate his backdrop. So please welcome Professor Toure Reed. What, what a wonderful introduction. Thank you, Jason. You, who would know that we were friends from that? <laughs> I thought it was, what's, what city is it? I'm in Bloomington Normal, so at Illinois State. Illinois State. Smack dab, equidistant between Champaign, Urbana, and Peoria. Only oh, like wow. 100,000 people know where that is. I know. I know. Well, equidistance between St. Louis and Chicago, too. It's going the other way. It's a little better, but then only mm -hmm. people that remember Nelly know that. Well, half of it. Only people who remember <laughs> Nelly know half of that. But don't forget Sexy Red. Oh, I will. <laughs> she actually was the, the, the face of our thumbnail for the Saturday show. Um, we wanted we wanted to do a women in hip hop show. Uh, we we're trying to find a hook because you know, let's be honest. We put these things together. We want to find a hook. Sometimes it's not even necessarily what we're going to talk about. We just, you know. So I, I think the hook was is hip hop over sexualizing women. It's just a picture of her face. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Let's see if anybody cares. Well, you've seen that Key and Peele bit. Uh, Mother Majesty, season four, episode one. It's the very last vignette in that episode. 
uh, Keegan plays a um, sexy red light character. Yes. He's doing yes. Nicki Minaj, right? And yes. So yes. I do remember that. I do remember that. It was pretty brilliant. I actually like going back and watching old Keen. As Jordan Peele is going to be a big uh, kind of person we talk about on this uh, show today. We uh, we really like to watch the NFL draft, the fake <laughs> NFL draft. Have you seen the play the, the the real NFL players that are named after their more ridiculous names? Yes. No. Um, There's real. Peter, my husband um, is. Uh, obsessed with the NFL, so we watch whatever we can. The there is a player, the Broncos just cut him. His real first name is Lil Jordan. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wait a minute. His first name is Lil. Lil Jordan is. His... And his last name is Jordan. No. Oh, oh, his Lil first Jordan name. is. His... Oh, is Lil Jordan. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. that's all you need to say. Fucking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, both. A pimp named Slipback and Celadine D were already taken. So. There's like a whole rationale that the parents had, like why that made sense. I'm like, whatever. That poor kid. It's Man. awful. It's very awful. <laughs> Little Jordan. I, I'm not going to hate on anybody's name, no, because yeah. my parents named me to Ray Fanon. So that, that's a lot to, to deal with. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. You just walk around with a grimace from kindergarten. Grace. <laughs> well, I mean, the nice thing about being a black Gen Xer is I wasn't the only one in my school with an African <laughs> name. Or oh, there's the only one named Fanon. I was the only one with Fanon. But That's your another... middle name? That's yes. Your middle name. Yep. Uh, and there was another Toure that I went to school with. I knew two other Toure's actually in Atlanta. A couple of Lumumba's. Yeah. I told Jason. I, I, I told Jason this, but there were some people in my at college who thought I was from the South, and my name was Kathy Lou. Like ah. Lou. <laughs> and they called you Miss Kathy. Uh, Miss Lou. Miss Lou. Well, if they really thought if they were from the South, they would have called you Miss Kathy. Really? Because yes. Ethan Spriggs, my best friend in college, was from Atlanta, and he would call me Miss Lou. But yeah, mm -hmm. Miss, I get it, Miss Kathy, right? Well, Miss Kathy, um, <laughs> I watched, I will preface this show by saying I watched Toussaint put this month together. So shout out to Toussaint for trying to put as many shows together. It's very hard work to do this. Uh, we just recently hit 15,000 subscribers and we were looking at the show growth today and we're like, damn, it's pretty cool. But um, it's really hard to do this. So shout out to do something for doing that. But when she's trying to put the show together, she goes, Jason, I don't know what to talk about. And I was having just me and Burt Cooper were fussing with each other. And then I think before I was fussing with Burt Cooper, I think I was fussing with Ture on the phone. And he had made some really interesting comments about Get Out. So I just want you to know, Ture that you are the inspiration. I'll take that. You're my inspiration. <laughs> Those were good questions. Um, <laughs> I was just watching Hollywood Shuffle. I mean, it's not a horror film, but I, had, <laughs> I was feeling it. I was feeling it. I watched Hollywood Shuffle yesterday, and then today I'm going to get you, sucker, and next in the queue will be Death by Temptation to bring it back. Ooh, a, a trauma film. A trauma okay, film. Okay, I'm so unprepared. Film. I'm just so That's okay. Unprepared. You know some black people, so you're fine. Okay, good. 
<laughs> At least you know him in passing. With the success of Jordan Peele in movies like Get Out, has horror become a race reductionist genre? Has the rise of the idea of elevated horror caused the horror genre to, to try too hard to make movies with a message and not movies that scare us? Mm. Catherine, to Ray, first question. <laughs> this is I'm trying to it's... Yes, Regis. <laughs> now, I, I still have my lifelines intact, right? You are going to need your lifelines for this. Okay. This is, okay, I'll be, I'll be very honest. I put a bunch of questions on here that are fucking ridiculous. I did put two serious ones, and I put some fucking ridiculous ones. Do you want me to ask you the silly ones first? Or the serious ones first. No, I can't remember. I couldn't tell the difference between. The serious <laughs> ones and the serious ones. Just, just go ahead. Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I I'll, have my thing that I want to say, so I'm just waiting for you to ask whatever question. And you just go right into what I want. it in. Like yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a really good public speaker. She's like, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> Bitch, I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to pretend to listen to you and nod and then be like, okay, this is the point I want to make. Oh, man, you are just making all the crazy rich Asian stereotypes come to life right now. It, it's also <laughs> an academic conference. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Once yeah. Ben Burgess comes here, it'll be an official academic conference. I, I just want to say that I'm trying to keep it together, even though Ture's background is triggering me. <laughs> <laughs> because of its oriental shojin screen, whatever that is. <laughs> Courtesy well, of Amazon, and Mike, it's, it comes out of the microaggressions catalog. If it would be funnier if Therese, uh significant other like peeked behind there and she was all gauged out, Ooh. like a fan, she had like a fan. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm gonna ask the question. I'm gonna yes. stop. Okay, stop. Catherine Teray, you two are people of color, allegedly. Uh, is the racism that we actually face in day to day life? as scary as people like Jordan Peele like to project onto the screen. Is this even a good allegory of what racism feels like? How much racism do you guys face that is actually frightening compared to something <laughs> oh, economic precarity? Mm. Uh, to Catherine, I'll start with you. How you much in- racism do I actually face that's actually scary? Because you um, live in Irvine. On a day, like in the present time or when, like in the past? <laughs> like 1857. I don't know. Okay, so when I went to Mount Vernon High School and everyone called me names because the African-American girls rightfully saw that I did not qualify to wear a training bra yet, that was scary. <laughs> but on a day-to-day basis, yeah, there's some – there's like – the last time I felt like I was really scared for someone else was when I saw a white lady yelling at a Chinese lady on a New York subway. Mm-hmm. And um, but like the day to day frightening thing about capitalism is much scarier than racism because I'm protected now by my age, by where I live, by all this other stuff. Um, I don't. Jordan Peele, is he trying to say that racism is the horror, the the core of the horror film? Maybe. But the thing that I wanted to say 
um, about this was that this is getting what I wanted to say. His white people, he's got white people all wrong. I'll just keep keep it with that. Oh, this is this is gonna get good. To Raven said, look at he's like, oh, let me get a pin out. Yeah. It's, a cla- it's a class it thing. It's not right. like people being white are scary. It's like he's trying to make rich people in Get Out look really terrifying. They're actually like blood sucking, you know, soul sucking vampires. But I, I feel like rich people are really scary these days. Rich people are actually really scary. Sid Nanda says, I would have watched Get Out a third time. <laughs> That's a joke because remember the dad says I would have voted for Obama a third time. Mm. To Ray, racism and its reality. I mean, we talked about um, Get Out, and you made an interesting point about Get Out. It's a movie that you actually enjoy. I did, and and I guess my discomfort with the film is um, uh, harmonizes with Catherine's. And so far as I like the film very much, uh, partly because I don't think I'd ever seen anyone take an interracial relationship as the jump off point for horror and going home when you're a young person to meet your significant other's family can just be scary no matter if race is is an issue or not but certainly in that context it it would have been but what bugged me about the film initially was less the film and the audience reaction where everyone many people seem to have been taken by the notion that white people want to appropriate black people but the film made plain that it was upscale white people Right. So this is in, in step with what Catherine was saying. And this kind of white elites got off on um, appropriating black bodies. And there's something to that. Um, you know, obviously, the, the horror show, ridiculous version of, of that. But nevertheless, what threw me off was apparently Jordan Peele hadn't thought about it in terms of class. He had thought about it, as Catherine said, just like much like the audience in terms of race. Um, as far as and, and race period, right? Whereas it would clearly be race and class or just class, as, as Catherine was saying, but certainly not race period, right? Um, as on this matter of the quotidian experiences of Black people or people of color and, and racism and whether or not they're scary, I don't know about scary as much as infuriating. Uh, some of the most outrageous experiences that I've had over let's say the last year were definitely racist experiences, but they weren't anything that was gonna, you know, result in my going to prison or being murdered or anything. It was sort of the ironic racism of liberal white anti-racist, right? And that's illustrative of my class position. The last time I really had to deal with racists on a regular basis as peers was in my twenties. Um, and so far like classic racists, not you know, racist, anti-racist, but like, as I mentioned before, David Duke voters, I was in my twenties when I had to work with those people and they were horrifying. But interestingly enough, the liberal white anti-racist that I've had to deal with in recent years were just as racist. And they were in many ways much more infuriating because they were well-educated, they're, they're, you know, enlightened. uh, And of course, because they had read how to be an anti-racist and everything that Robin D'Angelo had ever written, they convinced themselves that stereotyping people of color positively wasn't racist. So you couldn't say, so, you know, this is really racist, the stuff that you're you're saying, things that you believe, as I told them within a couple of weeks of meeting them, because they, you know, professed to be, to be sensitive to those issues, and it couldn't hear it, right? So the quotidian experiences, at least in my adult life or recent adult life, have been more infuriating than um, 
scary. Um, oh, can I? Okay. I just remembered my um, most, probably most like intense encounter with um, a racist as an adult was when I received hate mail when I was an assistant professor from probably someone who was a senior professor because they'd mm -hmm. seen all my files. Wow. And I had gotten a multicultural grant. This was the 90s when multiculturalism was really great. And he said, and she got a multicultural grant and we should be ashamed of ourselves for hiring her. She's a complete sham. And um, it just went, it was an anonymous letter that was slipped under my door. And um, you know what? I was furious. Actually, when Tura said the anger um, thing, I was like, oh yeah, I was... I wasn't scared. I was furious. I wanted to confront him, but there were so many different layers of bureaucracy. Like I was told mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't just, I was like, I wanted to just say to him like, what the hell is this? You know, you're a complete jam. By the way, he's like still an associate professor. He was a complete fucking blowhard. <laughs> Never got promoted. Couldn't write a thing. But he wanted to like call me out for being like a fake scholar. And, um, an affirmative action hire. And that was, um, but what it was, all the, everyone else was white too. Their um, fear was what was really infuriating to me. They kept saying, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Let HR do anything. They did nothing. No one did anything. I thought like the Dean was going to come and talk to us about how we can't behave this way. They did nothing. They, they swept it under the rug. And I was willing to go toe to toe with them and say, did you send this to me? They didn't bring it up in a faculty meeting. They pretended it didn't happen. So I don't think like your normal white academic gets hate mail when they're an assistant professor. But when I've talked to a number of women, sort of women of color, people have actually, this happens to us. And it's like, the what's infuriating about it is you don't get to confront people because of the your um, university bureaucracy. And I was too young to realize how it was going to play out. And I should have just said, you know what? You're full of shit, you know? Well, but, can, I, can I piggyback off? That was that? horrible. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I've had four workplace incidents total. Uh, one that I've mentioned, um, you know, from last year. And one was an assistant professor. Uh, and it sort of been between my first and second year. And I'd written about that one in a piece that I wrote in Jacobin, uh, why I'm still thinking about Amy Cooper. Uh, then I had another one in which I had to uh, file a complaint with the office of, of the relevant office. I don't want to say what the office name, but, but go through the bureaucracy right. to file a complaint against the dean for creating a hostile work environment for me. And what happened? Um, I kind of won that. But I'll come right back to that. Uh, and then in around that time, because it's evidence of the hostile work environment, I cursed out a colleague who I do not speak with. Mm -hmm. um, I won't say what year, but it's been a long time uh, mm -hmm. since that incident. Uh, and then, of course, the, the most recent was in the last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one, the, the most recent one was less about me personally. Right. Mm -hmm. The one that Catherine mentioned was about her. And the other three that I that I referenced were also about me, but the but the one last year wasn't about me personally. It was some, some committee work. But in all four of those incidents, 
I confronted the person, right? In the first incident, it was a white woman who I'd seen do some really heinous stuff to a uh, Middle Eastern colleague of mine. And I was super cautious about how I approached her. I strategized and talked to friends of mine, many of them white, um, for weeks about how best to approach this issue for fear that she would turn me into bigger Thomas. So I walked mm -hmm. in backing up, right, uh, mm -hmm. in, in that confrontation. Uh, in the case where I reported the dean, you know, that obviously went through a bureaucratic process, but I had to be professional the whole time, mm -hmm. of course. Uh, and in the instance where I cursed out the colleague, uh, obviously I didn't handle that in the traditional professional way, but I'd last, laughed off for years the disrespectful stuff he had put at my feet. I just figured, you know, he's a douchebag is how I looked mm -hmm. at it. And mm -hmm. that disrespect, like your colleague, mm -hmm. was about him and his mm -hmm. insecurities that he was projecting mm -hmm. onto me. But it, there was a bridge too far. And I, I, I couldn't. My blackness would not allow me to accommodate that bullshit at that point. Right. Um, and interestingly enough, even when you approach it, when you confront people, mm -hmm. the outcomes aren't necessarily what you'd want them to be. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going through the bureaucratic process was in many ways the, the most satisfying, mm. not emotionally, but um, but it's it's much more difficult, I think, to cast someone who handles those problems professionally going through the bureaucracy as a malcontent. But that happens. Right. I mean, so when you confront these people professionally or mm. not professionally, either way, mm -hmm. then the people in the periphery or the person even that you you have reported will cast you the victim mm -hmm. as a malcontent mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that again is not so much scary mm -mm. as it is infuriating it's and, not scary at all no and one of the things that this guy did was he was a bully and he would try to scare people and the department and people were scared this was at the university he was like six foot four like, like Minnesota nice or... guys no, just yelling, just like really being loud. When you're a six foot four guy and you yell at, you know, women who are tiny they, and the men who are, you know, um, not so assertive that he's, he intimidated when the department and I thought, and I, this is not, I didn't want to play that game, but I was yeah. actually literally told, um, you can't change a bully. So it's best to just leave that part of the playground to him. This is what the HR person said and I they transferred me out of the department. They talked to, to you like a like a grade school vice principal? Like a large, you know, white woman from Minnesota. Um, oh, you know, God. who was just like you know, they they have all the all the weapons of passive aggression and, and they just wanted me to adopt those weapons. I mean, to her, it's called comfort. <laughs> it's some comfort to me to know that there isn't like some kind of catharsis if I had confronted him. Mm -hmm. But I always think like the the cutting off of my instincts, the um, you know, the the trying to protect me, but actually trying to, but I didn't file a, a complaint because it was anonymous, right? Right. So I had to report it to the police, mm -hmm. but there was nothing that was done. There was no investigation, nothing. And so I actually never filed a complaint in the university against anyone thinking that there was going to be some kind of process where the dean or somebody, the chair was going to talk about how, you know, this kind of behavior is not acceptable. And they right. kept telling me, we'll take care of it. 
Well, that is one. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I just want to bring in uh, our third and final guest of the evening. Uh, uh, also a scary person. Uh, <laughs> Drew. Please welcome Ben Burgess. <laughs> Yeah, for uh, the desperately needed white guy perspective. <laughs> ben, Ben, I, I'm, I was waiting for you to ask this question. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let you lead off this next round of questions. Who is your favorite vampire of color? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I'm in the Blackula and Black Dracula. I mean, those are the, you know, those are the two. Uh no, I have no idea. What's the uh, you know? Dusk Till Dawn has some vampires of color. That's true. That's true. Blade is uh is kind of a vampire. Yeah, I mean, if Blade counts, I suppose Blade. <laughs> uh, there's the um... Brooklyn Vampire, Eddie Murphy. Oof, no. <laughs> no. Um, that was Nick Ashford. <laughs> yeah no it'd be really funny to say that one of the random like one of the 200 random vampires who gets dusted and from dust till dawn was my favorite vampire color <laughs> like no 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 the one that was like 20 minutes after they get to the bar you know like you see him for like 30 seconds and he makes a quip that was my favorite uh paul prescott said there's only eddie murphy <laughs> Tere, who was your who was your favorite vampire of color? Oh, that's that's tough. I mean, um, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's gonna have to be someone from the Blade universe in the grand scheme of things. But it's kind of hard not to give the nod to William Marshall, uh, who, being Blackula, set the stage for black vampires, right? He's a pioneering figure and I mean, Shakespearean guys, actor, right? You guys are all wrong so far. Let's see. I mean, I mean, not not counting. Oh my God, there's a right answer. Not right I mean, answered everything. Like like not counting Blade, who's uh, ambiguous. I mean, he's the Daywalker. Mm-hmm. Like there don't seem to be a lot of vampires of color in the I'm, Blade universe. Know, like, wait, like, though, by, Blade. by by and large, the Blade universe vampires seem to be like very white. But but there's two different blades too, right? I mean, there's Wesley Snipes. Oh yeah, yeah. And then there's Sticky Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also just great to have an opportunity to say and earn a Sticky Fingers. There are Asian vampires, Sune. Catherine, who's your favorite? Um, there are a lot of Asian vampires, but um, I don't know by them by name. Um, no, you know what? Um, Dracula himself, the Count, is from Romania, so he's kind of a wow. color. Wow. He's a person yeah. of Romania. Vulcan. Yeah, he, he might even be Gypsy. He might even be Roma. So. The original Dracula. I, I mean, this, I mean, it's like the cock. Yeah. Okay. That. That's. All right. That. That seems. That seems very white to me. I mean, you know, I understand these are all fake categories. <laughs> these are all fake categories, and I just want to say something like, even the black vampires are white, because finally, like, vampires are white. Okay. Look. Sorry. Look. The only mm. correct answer was Grace Jones. It's Grace Jones. Grace Jones and Vamp. Okay. Grace Jones and Vamp. Okay. Is the only vampire yes. of color. Was Cleavon Little a vampire in? Uh... That movie he was a, he was a familiar, familiar? Okay. in uh, Once Bitten. Yeah, that's it. Jim Carrey. Yeah, really I mean, homophobic movie. Uh, Dracula is not himself a gypsy, but in the uh, in I think the book and in the <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola movie, uh, like he has like the Count's gypsies. In fact, it's like yeah, 
it's like a little bit racist. Like a, it's uh, it's like yeah, he's got like he's you know he's controls all these like rats and bats and wolves and also gypsies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's well, yeah, that's bad. Like the Roma people, they yeah, right, exactly. It's like, I mean, yeah, it's that's really like an actual bad. ethnic group. I mean, you're sort of treating it like a, you know, like you know, this is just like a horror movie trope in itself. <laughs> you know what? Can we cancel with... Coppola right now. <laughs> I think then I just noticed you had your Phil Donahue microphone. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, you know, you I can start down. walking around the, the audience, you know, with, the, yeah. the, you know, like, who's your favorite vampire? <laughs> <laughs> I have, okay, so there's more questions that are ridiculous. Are Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Leatherface, and Jason Voorhees racist? I mean, Jason did kill that brother singing on the toilet. <laughs> and he was Afro-Puerto Rican, so it's a twofer. Oh, so Jason is intersectional in his <laughs> No, that's not what intersectional means, Jason Miles. Jason Miles, you do not know what intersectional actually means. He had means. two sections on his, his toilet murder. I mean, it would be intersectional if he was going to kill Afro-Puerto Ricans, like, not because they were black and not because they were Puerto Rican, but because they were both, right? That would actually be intersectional. Yes. Be well, that would make that him intersectional. intersectional, but it would be intersectional if he were, like, Afro-Puerto Rican, but also had Asperger's. <laughs> he had something to be singing while he boo-booed, because I've Well, never I mean, they're very him. musical people, Jason. <laughs> I think that's why he killed him. That was the intersection, because he was like, Oh, there's a black guy taking a shit. We'll let him go use the bathroom. When you think like, of love, do you want <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. And I was like, who the hell sings to their girlfriend in an outhouse? <laughs> like, have you ever had to use... I had to work so many festivals, and Coachella is like the worst festival. Mm. And I remember once there was a girl like that was crying for me to tell them to, to empty the porta potty. And I was like, I don't even have that channel on my walkie talkie to get these people down here. And she was like, please. She's like, it's coming out of the top. Cause I was like, <laughs> I, was like I can't, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you've got this thing about, so do you recommend stuff. that she starts singing to like, <laughs> the connection? Sing to the turd. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Yeah. I don't. I don't think Freddy is especially racist. I mean, he's got. I'm trying to think here. Like, not that there are that many non-white characters in any of those <laughs> movies, but like, there's uh, what's his name, Kincaid, and the Kincaid, uh, and then there's uh, a black girl in part four. Yeah, and I don't recall off the top of my head, Freddy's like making any particularly racist quips when he kills them. So. <laughs> Oh, oh no no he does say at one point right with because it's the uh with the black girl right he sorry i take that back doesn't he say like ooh dark meat <laughs> oh. am i remembering that right i feel, I feel I like he, he does that. he does say okay, that okay all right yeah, freddie's pretty racist, racist. Yeah, you know yeah. i mean that's obviously the worst thing about him well that well, when he was governor of virginia <laughs> freddie was when he wore blackface <laughs> Oh right. Yeah. yeah. Joke. 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 <laughs> Michael Myers is he racist? I don't think he's killed any black people. I think Michael Myers. Uh, so, so you're talking about like the like John Carpenter, Michael Myers, because like the uh, the 
the Rob Zombie Michael Myers does kill at least one black person, right? Like, of course. I, I think possibly. we're looking at you, Rob Zombie. You didn't have to do that shit. <laughs> In middle of oh, nowhere. I fucking hated. Okay, but the thing is that now you're saying like if there were no black characters for them to kill, does that mean they're not racist or is the whole film racist because there's underrepresentation? If a black person sings in the toilet and there's not a person (laughs) (laughs) in fact, if I'm remembering correctly, I only saw I didn't watch his sequel because I hated the first one so much. Terrible. And I only ever watched the uh, the first Rob Zombie Halloween once, and it you know because it yeah it made me really angry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I f- he might I think Michael Myers in that movie killed somebody also in the bathroom, and I believe that guy might have been black. If that I think I I, mean, I could swear to it, but I, I think that might be right. You know who else dies in the shitter? Remember uh, Scream Two. Yeah, Omar sure. Epps. Omar Epps is is uh, is on. <laughs> That's the right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning of the movie, yeah. Who, who so believes? Much. Who believes that all black people want to interact and chit chat when they're taking the shit? Hollywood. <laughs> well, I mean, to, to be fair, in Scream Two, that wasn't a voluntary interaction. I mean, but still, <laughs> if I heard somebody giggling in the stall next to me, the last thing I do, I'm gonna put my ear to the stall and listen to it. But I'm shitting too. Who the fuck does that? I'm trying to get in and get out of a crowded public bathroom. I'm not trying to sit in there and contemplate life's mysteries, listening to shit. Literally. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I'm trying to drown all of it out. Yeah, but people in the Midwest talk in the bathroom. Like to you? Really? Well, I don't try to have a conversation, but you're standing well, there at the urinal, uh, urinal and some dude comes up next to you and starts talking. It's like, this is not what's supposed okay, to happen. I, oh. As somebody, you know... I'll, I'm gonna do from this. the Midwest. Yes, yeah, somebody who actually is from the Midwest, I will say. Uh, t- does urinal at the bathroom mean like at the urinal? Yes. Or like in a stall? No right? conversation, you know, when you junks out. I mean, that's all I'm saying. You just it is. No, 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 fair, fair enough. I'm saying like like I think that like sometimes at the urinal, sure. In a stall, no. I I, I can't think of. <laughs> I, I don't need to hear how you doing, buddy. Yeah. Right. Sounds like you're a little clogged up back there. Let's just wrap it up and Breathe. have a conversation at the sink. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I cannot, I cannot recall a single stall conversation ever. I will say that. I, I mean, I, I thought know, they. You're, I've never. Urinal conversation, sure. I mean, that's. Yes, you know, but that's too much. Yeah. Yeah, conversation is too much. Fair enough. Sink conversation is fine. <laughs> okay. You can be in the bathroom. That's okay. But you can't be involved in relieving yourself in any way, shape, or form. So that's very bad etiquette. That's like bad etiquette. What are they just trying to be like super friendly? Yes. And then they want to shake your hand after. (laughs) Just let it go. Let it go. I don't even want to dap up. You know what I'm saying? No fist bump. That is a hell of a conversation you had in the pisser. Like, hey, you got a strong stream there, buddy. Uh, A strong handshake. Yeah, look at that. You got a real good prostate there, man. I had some. Maybe prostate. they were not just wanting to talk, too, Ray. You're just not, hey. not picking Ooh. up on the signals. You never know. <laughs> if that's okay. a signal, that's. I think you crazy. might be a little being a little naive, like when he asked you about the weather. <laughs> that was code. That was code for a stall talk. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Awesome. Bathrooms well, in the Midwest. Jason kills Kelly Rowland. Someone says Jason kills Kelly Rowland. See, racist. 
Well, okay, but I mean, Catherine's point does seem like a good one here. Like, what, what's the what's the rule? Are you supposed to have like only proportional proportional well, representation? Look, I want anti-racist yeah. murderers. Well, I just, definitely. What's that? Yeah, look, the yeah, they, yeah, the anti-racist slasher would make sure that there were no uh, racist uh, racial disparities in uh, in the victim pool. That you know that they like. Thirteen point four percent. Oh my God! I think I I think I killed one too many. Black people today. I'm gonna have to go kill them. I'm gonna have to look for someone Latin today. They're like 35 to 38 percent, or maybe 40 percent right now. And, well, um, to that point about killing black people in horror movies, I can't believe I wrote this. Does representation matter uh, in horror in in, in in any genre? Like uh, as victims re- or murderers? Oh, definitely as murderers or monsters. Uh, okay. So there's movies like uh, the first Candyman, mm-hmm. and uh, I was watching that that documentary. I won't say the name of it. Um, fuck it, I'll say, well I won't say the name of it. It's like the only one. But um, they were talking about Candyman, and they would do this like finally representation. <laughs> I'm like, is this? Oh, what this is? oh yeah. Oh, I know what, what you're talking you know about. I mean? I'm like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, is that yeah, really where we want to be when Jesus comes? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like you, I grabbed my son. I was like, is it, "Hey, America, <laughs> America's changing. Um, you can, finally, you finally can grow we get up." An Asian, do we get an Asian American serial killer? Well, we get the ring, and that's what you get with Asian. Well, that's just, like from Asia. That's from Asia. I'm talking about Asian America. Yeah. I mean, wow. right. So it's, it, and, and this is like a particularly strange version of representation, too, because it's like, okay, so like, is, uh, you know, I don't know. There's like a time when science fiction movies had a whole lot of Asian representation in the supervillains. Like, is, exactly. is, that, is that progressive and good? You know, it's like, oh, no, it's, it's great that they gave that role to Big the Merciless, you know, like really, really. <laughs> I was going to say, say, is Max Van Seedow doing yellow face in. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Flash. In Flash Gordon, Flash. were you offended yeah, by that? Yeah. What? I'm um, just as about as much as offended as I am by the Shoji screens behind you, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I bring my own microaggression wherever I go. Like when I watched well, that, I, I believe if I remember correctly, Trey started doing that because they because when he went on TM, TMBS. Not quite. Not okay. quite. So what okay. happened was I was set up. I I, I was already scheduled to go on the michael brooks show mm-hmm. and i had ordered the screen because i don't want people in my fucking house unless i've invited you so <laughs> that's Christ. why i wanted the screen and it was delayed so it came the day after the michael brooks show so then our, our the mythology you, was yeah. that, I, that i got it because of the michael brooks show okay. actually i got it before the michael brooks show yeah because I, I i thought i remembered you objected you know you like talking about like people in the chat doing what people in the chat do it was my dad and michael brooks were talking about that and then michael brooks and i revisited it yeah. there we go there we go That's what right. and, and there's a meth lab back my... there right the whole <laughs> my whole man cave smells like cat pee there you go that's how i'm gonna retire as a as a public employee with all that meth all that meth You're, are you heisenberg you're actually heisenberg. i would like to think so yeah yeah i certainly don't want to be pinkman this is the best oh, comment. Yeah, this is the best comment I think any of us have ever gotten. What? Right here. 
Never has a discussion regarding racism been so hilarious. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, bad lefty. Oh, oh, I feel so. Oh, that made my day. That made right. My day. Like, who knew? You guys, you guys had no idea what you were getting into. Um. So, so you would, uh, so, you know, you would knew you would be like, uh, you'd be selling like the really primo like blue math, right? Oh yeah, I've got pictures of myself having been to Albuquerque, uh, <laughs> with, and I'll be in Albuquerque uh, in less than a week. And I'll be in Albuquerque less than a week selling my blue meth. (laughs) So I've got some upstairs. Which is like the best thing about that show, just the premise that it's like no, like there's all this like Mexican drug stuff in the the show. It's like, yeah, no Mexican person ever thought of this before. Right? (laughs) Behind the fucking thing right now, making all the meth. Ray is also a capitalist. Like, don't get it twisted. Yeah, just on the DL. <laughs> it's <laughs> extremely racist. Breaking Bad. The guy's name is Walter White, after all. Mm. And, and that's appropriating the name of NAACP president Walter White. There you go. There exactly. Once again, and then, and be smirting it. And then his co-name is Heisenberg, who's actually a Nazi. So there you go. When are we ever going to get Heisenberg ours? Was Heisenberg really a Nazi? Though? He was sort of a Nazi. He was a, like, people, um, he was, like, people who are defenders of him will be like, no, 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 see, he was never a member of the party, and this and that. Okay. It's like, okay, right? Okay. But he okay. did try to build an atomic bomb for Hitler. So if that doesn't make you quite a Nazi, that maybe makes you, like, uncomfortably adjacent to being a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. But what if you're incompetent about it? <laughs> Right. I mean, if you're incompetent about it, doesn't that change things? <laughs> <laughs> See, that was part of my master plan. <laughs> I wasn't really trying to build that bond because I understand the laws of gravitativity and polarity. And <laughs> so if I wanted to build a bomb, I'd have built the bomb. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to build a bomb, really. Because, you know, Heisenberg sounded like Charlie Murphy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my guess probably <laughs> why not <laughs> all right so basically we're saying breaking bad extremely racist everything extremely is racist. racist show at Everything every level. Extremely, extremely racist i yeah i know i heard a whole academic paper on this so oh god yes. really what about better call Saul? Um, no, I don't know. The, she wasn't talking about that, but she was basically saying what um, Ben just said as a throwaway, but as a whole paper about Ooh. how um, it had to be a white guy who really knew how to make the right meth. But I'm telling you, I feel like Breaking Bad was very anti-racist because my favorite character was Gus Frings. He's the manager. Like He's okay. in charge. Yeah. He's the right. boss. And Walter White is just like a, you know, division of labor guy and Frings, Poyos Hermanos is really. So you know, the paper was mad. Second, Breaking Bad is, uh, yeah, no, I, I just like <laughs> the way that rolled off. No, Breaking Bad is anti-racist. It's like that time. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I want to let's play with this for a second because I liked that show until Ooh. Walter White killed Fring because I liked Fring, like Catherine, and it really pissed me off because at that point you realize that Walter White was the smartest guy in the room even when he wasn't. I thought, oh, I know this white man, and then. He had to kill the brother who actually knew the whole business mm-hmm. because Walter White, again, is the smartest guy in the room, even when he did not. So I almost stopped watching the show after he killed, uh, after White killed Gus Fring for those reasons. Well, 
But White didn't kill Gus Fring's. Gus Fring's kills the Salamanca uncle with out of revenge, and it's like a suicide self-sacrifice for his gay that lover. That White set up, right? But that White, yes, oh, sorry, that White set up. That White set, yeah. up. Yeah. that White set up, but there's a lot of, like, he lets him get his revenge because he's been just waiting this whole time to kill Salamanca. Yeah, but in the end, since White, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, White the showdown White, between yeah. Gus and, and right. White. Because so it's racist. It That part. Walter is racist. There you go. But not necessarily the show. Well, I do I do have to ask. I'm not question. actually serious that Walter's racist. But <laughs> he's just well, an asshole. I have a, yeah. I have a I, I mean, it, it is definitely so important to figure out whether yes. it is definitely good to figure out whether Walter White was racist because like super sympathetic character otherwise. But like if you if you add racism to that, then no, never mind. I don't like him anymore. He was sympathetic until he wasn't though, right? Because he was this broken man when the show starts. Yeah. And then you realize again that he was this arrogant fuck, and that's how he fell practically right those flashbacks give you a sense of that and then of course his relationship with gus only amplifies it i will say that like he was you know way people talk about that show is like oh this is this like um guy like really slowly becoming you know like a, a bad guy and it's like yeah i mean the the first season he's uh He's got the like guy in his basement with like the bike lock yeah. around his neck. I mean, that uh, seems like he was pretty vicious when it started. Well, and he was egotistical from moment one. I mean, he wasn't where the show picks up because he's a broken man at that point. Look, but again, guys, those flashbacks. Have you ever have you ever taught teenagers? It's really depressing when you're passionate about chemistry and they are not. So I totally identified <clears throat> with him as a teacher. I'm not that kind of teacher, but, you know, every day you go to work and you feel like you're just pushing a wheel that won't move. Yeah, I can't compete with the iPhone 14 or whatever it is. Now. 15. Um, 15. I, I, have, 14, I have to ask you guys this question. This is like specifically for you guys. Um, I got this. I have to give Bert Cooper. I have to clear the sample because we were talking about this and he yelled this out in a conversation. Are people that critique the racial characteristics of horror films part of a cottage industry of aspiring academics and essayists who just want to sound important? I'll yes. Yes, that's it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Seems right. Yes. That's you guys didn't want to expand on that at all? You just like, yeah, fuck them? That's it? I mean, I mean, that just kind of seems like Bert spelled it out. I yeah, yeah, I mean, he there's did. No, I mean, say. I don't know what else to say except to say that there's all this criticism now. There used to be, like, some serious film critics that people would go to. Now, like, yeah. everybody's a critic, from Rotten Tomatoes to Vulture mm -hmm. to whatever people are reading. And the dearth of really original criticism is made up for by like everyone thinking that content needs to be decoded for progressive or anti-progressive political messages. Yeah. And the whole thing is like really tiresome. Mm. I mean, we're making fun of it today here, but you know, you were right, um, Jason, to start us off on this, that Jordan Peele may have started this. And it happened during the pandemic when we were watching a lot of content before and after George Floyd's murder, when I felt like I was being hit over the head by a two by four, like I was an idiot and I needed to get the message. There's so many horrible the jokes. The world is racist. And... About you. What? Yeah. 
no, no. I, I, I think wanna, I want to add this before you go on, Ben. I want to add this, and you're yeah. probably probably going to be to your point. Uh, we have to remember that during the shelter in place, um, the George Floyd murder happens, and to calm everybody down, Netflix goes. Uh, Netflix wants everyone to know that we really do like black people. So here's a bunch of Will Smith movies, <laughs> and and all these movies are coming out to trying to show us that the big evil that we we experience as all black people is the evil of uh, police violence, right? Or, or just or white people at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was tiresome. Um. Yeah. Because, okay. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. And you can use the present tense because it hasn't stopped. Yeah. No. That's Ooh, definitely that's, that's definitely also true. Uh, so I think there are two there are two things we're talking <laughs> about here, right? One is the movies themselves, and yes, um, to Trey's point, present tense, right? That's uh, mm-hmm. that's definitely right. And then the other one is like what Catherine was talking about—that kind of grassroots film criticism that is entirely about whether movies are politically progressive and therefore virtuous or not uh which predates i think movies catering to them quite as much as catering to that quite as much as they do now uh but like i don't know i mean i'm thinking here about um like i don't know if you guys remember that movie uh coco which was from three years before the Mm -hmm. pandemic Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. it's about the mexican day of the dead and a uh i guess i won't name him here because he might not want to be named but somebody we know who works in the entertainment industry told me that um, the uh, part of the reason there were really no controversies about that movie is that they found several of the people on Mexican American Twitter who would be most likely to make a stink about anything that was like objectionable about it and gave them jobs as consultants on the movie. Ooh, Damn. Smart. smart. Yeah, right. Smart Disney. Wow. Is one of them named Poussin? I don't know. <laughs> Bill Cosby, Cosby Show joke. Sorry. That's yeah. the that's the producer, his academic friend. Yeah. Yeah. Social yeah. psychologist. Or, or the co was a co creator? Or he kind uh, of I don't think he was co creator. He was a consultant though. Um by season two at the latest, it might have been season one. That's why they write Sandra into the the script in season two because they mm-hmm. wanted to show the triumph of parenting with sure. Princeton. But, but house bigger too. It is really astonishing. I mean, like, it is maybe worth spending just a second on this, like, kind of what I think some of what Catherine was referring to earlier, just like how that <laughs> kind of uh, everybody being, <laughs> everybody, like that kind of like crowdsourced. Big, me- big Mexico. Big Mexico. <laughs> big Mexico. I like it. Uh, big Mexican. um, but like that kind of um both the sort of crowdsource film criticism rotten tomatoes and all that stuff and also the way that that changes the way that like professional film criticism happens like you know Mm -hmm. i'm thinking like the kind of movie reviews that you'll see in like i don't know like salon and slate and shit like that right that they have um that so much of that stuff becomes like, is this progressive and virtuous mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. is, is it not in this way that it just, it just really feels like, I don't know. We've just kind of gotten this collective lobotomy about how we like perceive movies and TV shows. And it's like, even the sort of ability to kind of see like, just like things as basic as 
a character in a movie saying something doesn't mean that the movie is endorsing it, even if there isn't a second character who immediately shows up to say that it's bad. Like, no, no, it's a, it's such a literal level of reading. Like, there's no, um, in, there's no, um, you know, latent contact. Everything is, you know, has to be right out there in a literal way. But I was, I, I was joking around with people having a panic attack about Chat GPT, and like, oh my God, it's going to take everyone's jobs. Look, the culture industry has been producing a lot of dreck before ChatGPT existed, that looks like it could have been written by ChatGPT. I mean, and look at, and they're all like panicked about architects losing their jobs. Look at your local big box shops. They are like, they look like they've been designed by architect ChatGPT. And a lot of this content that's supposed to be progressive sounds like, you know, someone said, ChatGPT, write me a screenplay about a trauma <laughs> girl who grows up to be um, a really sassy econ professor. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a horrible film. No, I mean, it's, it's like so a wild. little bit like everything, everywhere, all at once, and crazy rich Asians together, but with Constance Wu as our sassy heroine. You know, like ChatGPT writes it. And, everyone, and all the critics are like, yeah, and all the ChatGPT critics are like, oh my God. Asian American representation, sassy. Like the whole idea of like feminism is just having like a sassy heroine. Sassy, I'm so sassy. Well, there's a, there's a, there were actually, I, I did read an interesting paper on that. That, um, do you remember in the late to, or mid to late 70s, there was uh, rape as a plot device in a lot of movies? Um, I don't know if it starts with Wes Craven, but he definitely kind of makes it very popular with Last House on the Left and then follows uh-huh. Happy If I Spit on Your Grave. Mother's Day. Um, there's too many to name. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the more modern takes on this, because for some reason people thought, hey, let's redo these rape movies. Um, the woman ends as some sort of sexy heroine. So after she's had this like horrible trauma, uh, then she like rips off the clothes and uh, has guns and is in like she's scantily clad and she kicks a bunch of ass. You mean, I mean like a, a promising young woman? Yes. Those rape revenge um, movies. There's yeah, the rape un- revenge movies are insane. I mean, I mean, I mean to be fair, that was the the original. I spit on your grave. I mean, other than the sexiness, uh, was pretty much what you're describing, right? I mean, like you know, like the the whole second half of that movie is her kicking ass. Yeah, there's a lot of ass kicking in those movies, and you're supposed to like the comeuppance in to me is like never worth it. No, no. I mean, it's an incredibly disturbing movie. I've only but you seen get it. Once. You get it. You, you get to have it both ways. You get to right. enjoy this voyeuristic violation and then you get to enjoy the sexy woman exerting her revenge. But I think the most explicit thing, I mean, I do have to like, I'm exposing my own like television viewing habits, but um, is that, you know, the first two, three seasons of game of Thrones is really horrible. Lots of rape, you know, lots of incest, whatever, you know, incest, rape, just you know, it escalates, and it's and um, it's that feedback leap that Ben was talking about, with the critics or the um, the influencers are talking back to the showrunners, and then suddenly you'll see in around season four, if anyone has ever done anything bad to women in that show, they die or they get castrated or they lose everything. It becomes very, very formulaic. Like I would be like. Oh my God! Don't do that to her. Don't do that to her. You're dead. 
and it would just be like this. It would just be very canned. Final question. Since we're wrapping, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on this Halloween Eve. I do not live in a neighborhood with children. And sadly, I did not get to hear from my own. And I did know he was a ninja this year. So I'm really, really bummed mm-hmm. out about that. Because yeah. if you know me and ninjas. Do you love ninjas? I love ninjas more than Tere loves culturally appropriating backdrops. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I wanted to be my stepmother uh, had a black belt and some uh, martial art that wasn't really that cool, but she had a sword and she could twirl it around and she took me to see American Ninja when I was a small child. And after that, I was like, I'm going to be a ninja. And I saw American Ninja 2 where the black dude got to be a ninja. Remember that? Mm. Is America's anti-ninja ninja force. I wanted to be part of the anti ninja ninja force, and I never, I never got that. I still love ninjas too. Very sad. Very sad. Oh. You also wanted to always be an architect, but you never able to pull that off. So for a brief moment, you were a marine biologist instead. So final question. <laughs> People are horrible. I just want you guys to know who the real racists are. I just want you to know that. I was trying to keep it together. Okay. Do, <laughs> do black horror movies sit in a different cultural place in our hearts? What? <laughs> well, wouldn't it depend on when? When, when they were released? When matter? Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, as a, a different placed our hearts than other horror movies or okay yeah Uh uh-huh uh yeah maybe like where does blackula sit in your heart ben uh i mean right at the top (laughs) right Right next to the funkenstein right right like that's the um usually the first thing i think of when i wake up the last thing before bed um scream blackula scream yeah i definitely it's definitely not just the case that i reached for that joke because like you know, I think the title is funny and I only know the title. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, right? I mean, it's like, so, so I think if we're talking about uh, not black horror movies from like, um, you know, the, you know, the 90s, you know, Candy, you know, like the original Candyman or whatever, but. Uh, Candyman. What's that? But you said candy man. Oh yeah, yeah. Candy man, right? Go we all want candy. Yeah, no, was the uh, well, it was originally it was going to be called anti-racist man, but then they thought that you know, the studio said candy man. You know, it's like really emphasize your main star. Uh, yeah, and um, but yeah, the original candy man, for example, right? I don't think fit like but i think yeah if you're talking about like kind of jordan peele era stuff then like yeah because it's like um because it's associated with you know people certainly i mean you can watch like get out or you know like as as just a and you know just like enjoy it as a horror movie or whatever but it's like uh i mean 
obviously there's a political valence to that on its face and you know that that is going to be part of how people interact with it i mean i don't i don't really know if that's exactly what you're asking or not oh these are nonsensical questions <laughs> i think it's funny when smart people answer <laughs> <laughs> Could you repeat the question? <laughs> Do black movies sit in a different place in your heart? Do they not right, have the right above you, right under my diaphragm, where I get my indigestion? See, I would have gone with where the hypertension is located. But... What are you talking about? Isn't that isn't it? Just like right here. Ugh. Right where my the under my bra hits. <laughs> That's just I don't even know what you're saying, but I think what you're saying is that like, is it like trying to do? Um, is it elevated horror? Is it trying to uh, is Jordan Beale trying to be like prestige horror? And I just gotta say like, nope, was really confusing to me. Um, everyone said it was horror. It was really great and. I wasn't really that scared, and I think it was so high concept that I just don't think it really came off at all. So, okay, so I mean, we're so actually that's a good clarification. When you say black horror movies, do you mean specifically black elevated horror movies, a la Jordan Peele, right? I assume you're not talking about like when you say black horror movies, you're not thinking of like Day Shift. I was thinking of Bernie Casey's Doctor Black and Mr. <laughs> That's why I asked when, right? Because you've all got Blackula black, and Doctor Funkenstein and Doctor Black and Mister <laughs> Hyde. Um, what is? There's Omega Man, but I guess it doesn't count because it's Charlton Heston. No, oh, that's Hill, fucked up. Sugar Hill. A, I thought the black person Sugar Hills. Kind of interesting. I, I kind of like Sugar Hill. We're talking about like the height of 70s black culture. I'm talking about like... all look there. But there's... I mean, the 70s black exploitation films, which you've written on, Jason, and know a lot about. I mean, it's pretty different from the Jordan Peele era horror films. Yeah. And the 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 thread, of course, is that the audience, at least much of the audience, is happy to see black faces on the screen dealing with things <laughs> that are supposed to be black themed stuff. But oh, the Nutty Professor was a horror film too. But but they're different types of film, right? Even though they're black horror films. There, there's, I, th my issue. This is this is Ugh. where that question comes from. It, it is a silly question. Is that there's people that want to have a certain cultural relevance, and that's kind of what they're fighting for with a lot of this quote unquote representation, mm -hmm. right? Um, and they want to they want to sit in the same place. When you talk about horror, they want you to talk about Dr. Funkenstein in the same way you talk about Bella Lugosi, right? Maybe you don't believe that. Jo well, Jordan Peele talk and, Negroes and Keegan, <laughs> but Keegan Key and Peele when they were on Mad TV actually spoofed black exploitation film horror films yeah. as a regular thing. So it's kind of interesting that that Peele did that and then ushered in elevated black horror it's 20 true. years later or however many years it was 25 years later you know what anyone can be bought there's a dollar amount where trey if you were if they offered you five million <laughs> if they offered you a center for anti-racism he spent a lot of time thinking about like, it he's decided I, I worked this out years ago <laughs> i worked this million. out oh. with my students years ago i tell my students as an american 
I have a price. <laughs> and I share with them an anecdote about a buddy of mine. I won't, I will spare you details, but ultimately ended up passing a course because he gave a professor 78 bucks or something like that, or 86 bucks. And I tell this story to my students and I say, look, as an American, again, I have a price, but it's probably cost prohibitive because you'd have to pay me enough that I could retire. Right. And that's because it's an ethics violation and I would lose my career. So I'd need a minimum of $5 million. Okay, but what There's about a lot of custom guitars like... out there. Oh, right. What about something like just like they they want to give you a center for anti-racism so you can say all the things you don't mean, like you yeah, don't that lose I couldn't your do. Career. You couldn't do. do. There's no price. No, I'd need more than five million for that. <laughs> okay, like I said not no price. It's just a much higher. I price. can't imagine the price. <laughs> what right. if you're as an American? There surely is a price out there, but I can't imagine it. <laughs> Ben, you have the Center for Anti-Semitism that you're trying to get. <laughs> oh, wait, anti, $55 million. $55 million. For research into anti-Semitism. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah the, uh, the Ben Burgess uh, Center for uh, the Promotion of Judeo-Pessimism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's, that's a real thing. What, he what, fucking what? sent me an article about Judeo-Pessimism. He said everything's a goddamn pessimism. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it I, mean all I, I mean, I think that was like the one guy who wrote the article was like sort of, as far as I know. But like, you know, I actually do think there's like an analogy to like the thing that's dumb about Afro pessimism and the way that like people will talk about anti-Semitism as if it's this like eternal unchanging thing that's like you know that's like oh, you know, like you say oh you you know. Um, you know, okay, sure, you think you're safe in America, but the Jews in Germany thought they were safe. It's like, you really don't see any disanalogies between these situations, you know, that like, um, anyway, but yeah, uh, no, I I don't know. I think uh, 55 million is good. I mean, I'm not, you know, (laughs) I'll bid that, you know, (laughs) that's like, Strom, Strom, thank you for the super chat. Strom says, oh my God, disgusting. No one here is woke. Class deductionists. Triggered, traumatized. You you missed the uh, hashtag you, triggered hashtag traumatized. I don't I don't yeah. think you highlighted the best comment, which was uh, from Kushluk, uh, who says uh, a little while back, uh, uh, "Candy man, candy man, candy man." And and that actually reminds me of my opening spiel for a, a talk that I'm giving and have already given that Jason has read. So I like that a lot. Uh, candy man, candy. I gotta find that. I was, I was uh, talking to a friend recently, who's an academic, I won't say where, who was um, telling me about the chief diversity officer where he works, uh, who makes almost four hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, and this this is a research one public university, but it's you know not a research one. It's not like Harvard, right? So if they're making four hundred thousand bucks a year at a research one public university. <laughs> that relies very heavily on tuition receipts for survival. You can only imagine how much one can make in academia and that, that gig. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I couldn't imagine doing a job like that for more than five years, let's say, right. You always mortgage some portion of your soul with a job. I mean, that's just a reality, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, but that's... that's why, that's why I like uh, drag me to hell so much. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was just thinking about drag me to hell. When you were saying that. What yeah. it is. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you can't 
I don't want to say that that's a worthless position because, you know, diversity is a good thing. Uh, sure. Maybe not in its current iteration, but I've always supported mm-hmm. diversity. And I know a lot of, I have a number of friends who are diversity officers who are sincerely and appropriately invested in those issues, but you just can't win in that job. And so much of it's basically actualizing a corporate vision of inclusion and diversity that's actually at odds with academic freedom. Uh, It's at odds with any sort of inquiry about big issues, right? Um, It's really problematic stuff. I think, that's a horror. See, I think this is I think this is the horror that nobody's really been able to put into a narrative, which is that there is in like contemporary professional life, this attempt to transform your very inner soul to adapt yeah. to the needs mm-hmm. of the corporation. And that is fucking scary. Like they want yeah. to reach into your heart and change it. They want to reach yeah. into your mind and change it to adapt to a corporation there was even in the classic you know gray flannel suit um alienation organization mm-hmm. man alienation from the 50s and 60s those people had an idea that when i went home to work i could home from work men usually i could have like 10 martinis pass out or go to go to greenwich village and smoke pot with the bohemians and the gays but now it's like no the, you're going home you're working you're available all the time what you do you have to believe in this is the true horror. Like we're all just um, living in a nightmare that we don't even know how to describe. That's and part of it message. is the elimination of the divide between the public sphere and the private sphere. Exactly. And exactly. and so I mean now we are you know it was the case in the civil rights movement era that the expectation wasn't that one would change the hearts and minds of people, but rather to change their behavior. That the right. state could intervene and how you act in the public sphere as an employer, as an employee, as a shopkeeper, you could still be racist off the clock, right? But while you're in the public sphere, you couldn't behave on it. And that's a reasonable threshold mm-hmm. that we you, have given up it, on. It's be, And you and um, other people who are Marxist, African-American scholars have commented on this, is that the vagueness of being anti-racist and for diversity within universities actually leaves these jobs never they will never achieve their mission so they're infinite and they uh, there are no concrete demands like i don't care if someone's racist if they treat me well and they don't have power over me i don't care what you say i don't give a shit about you but if if there is we respect each other's boundaries you do your work i do mine I'm not going to come in and try to retrain you to not have shoji screens, you know, in your background. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that that's a little triggering. To Asian people, we can res- I'll respect you to a certain degree and keep away from you. But the whole thing, of, uh, because I want to have my job or I want Asian Americans or African Americans to have their jobs to be treated fairly. I don't care, you know, white person, if you're really racist, I'm not going to have a discussion with you. Let's just be fair. Let's be fair on level of wages and demands and clear cut policies. This is why, you know, um, demand for jobs is not on the table for people right. like Kendi. You know, I mean, yeah. it is black I've, just, I've just been, you know, so the reason, <laughs> reason I, I haven't said anything for the last few minutes is that I've just been thinking this entire time about how many adjuncts the university could give health insurance for the uh, the cost of that one diversity officer. Thank you guys again for hanging out. And I do want you guys 
to know as fun as this episode was, I do try to do serious stuff too. And realize this. Do you guys know what? What'd you call me? We know that. Oh. I didn't call you a name. (laughs) We we know that, honey. We know that, honey. (laughs) Um, Do you guys know what anyone watching right now, do you guys know what second screen viewing is? Do you know what that is? Look at you guys. So advertisers know that people multitask. That's a real thing. People always say it. It doesn't really mean anything. But that means that while you're doing something, maybe even watching a show on a computer or even listening to a podcast or something, there's a second screen on. And second screen viewing has tons of what we did talk about here. The breakdown of racist movies, of tropes in movies. Mm. Hmm. That's a huge thing for people to to watch and consume. Hmm. Is yeah. Jeffrey Tubin involved in that? I don't know. Screen? I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's for the best. I can't say names of people that do this type of work, but yeah, or that type of work. The the okay. the racist trope breakdowns in every part of pop culture. But it's a big thing that people do consume. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That's Someone says, Jason, you are my second screen. I I believe that. And gave you the tongue. I'm sure I'm somebody's second screen. (laughs) He wants to be somebody's first screen. Ladies, Jason doesn't want to be your second screen. He wants to be your primary, okay? He's a liar. No, ladies do not believe him. His heart is open. Um, DMs, are, his DMs are too. <laughs> I gotta go to dinner. When you, uh, when you when you said that you also do serious stuff, I thought that was gonna be your lead in to uh, to promoting the stream on Friday. Oh God, that's gonna be so far from serious. Ben and I are gonna be back Friday to talk about uh, a piece that he wrote in Jacobin. Uh, about Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm actually pretty stoked about that. I'm going to try to rewatch as many as possible. I tried to watch another movie that Ben told me about today. Movie well, about the, the Indian Girl in the Jar. Yeah, yeah. It lives inside. The reason I was telling you about it was because it seemed like it was a perfect example of what you were complaining about in the in the like yeah. title of the stream, right? So it's this movie that just came out. If you guys haven't seen it, it's oh. a... Uh, it's this uh, Indian girl, Indian American girl in high school, and she's like basically trying to assimilate and be like the white girls in her class. And there's this like demonic Indian spirit that you know she has to deal with. That's uh, hmm. uh, that's like that's in a like there was like trapped in a jar and it gets out. That's hence it lives. Hence the title. It lives inside. And you know I'll just go ahead and spoil this movie mildly and say that uh, I was actually. Like this is definitely in the category that Jason's talking about for this. Cause it's definitely, I think it feels like it's supposed to be elevated horror, you know, et cetera. And it, it is, um, you know, which I don't necessarily, you know, hate the way that Jason sometimes seems to, I think you have to take it all a cart, right. You know, some of those movies are good. Some of them aren't, but the, uh, but like, it's, it's definitely in that sort of vein, and I don't know. I mean, like, it kind of felt like the message of the movie towards the end was some, like, really reactionary, like, cultural separatism. Like, uh, you know, you've, you know, no, no, no. you're like an Indian person. You have to be, like, off doing your own Indian thing and, like, not trying to be like these white people. Oh, oh we have, I have to read this last comment. Uh, thank you very much for the super chat. Johnny Dang. 
Uh, as a recipient of a DEI scholarship for a tech security program, I'm having to be real careful about posting on the Middle East matter. Oh, be school. real careful. Be really careful. Yeah, don't. Hey, oh, just you know what? Do you say stuff to real people. It's way different than posting it on the internet. Just, just yeah. say things to people. You know, I yeah. want to pl put a plug out to for my Substack, Clue Anon, C L I U Anon at Substack.com. I'm doing a reading group that will build up to a reading of the authoritarian personality, hmm. so you can all find out how fascist are you, where you score on the F scale. It's okay. about, and it's about what Ben was talking about earlier yeah. about the unchangeable nature of anti-Semitism. I'm actually looking at the historical, uh, a historical changing understanding of anti-Semitism from the Frankfurt, from Freud through the Frankfurt School. So nice. Uh, although before I read this part, this Substack, uh, we have this really important question. Catherine, have you have you condemned Hamas? <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure that oh, in the bomb I, down, I, I think in the, I have. I think down. I have, but I will say it right now for you. If you, you're gonna gonna do a condemnation on no on demand. Yeah, I, I have a because like somewhere in the bombed out rubble of an apartment complex in Gaza, there are two guys who are like putting together rocket launchers, and one of them's like, "Is this okay?" <laughs> I, I, I don't think Catherine Lewis condemned us yet, so uh, I guess it's okay. <laughs> I wanted to make a. Is this recorded? Oh yeah, this is totally recorded. Oh yeah, okay. I can't help it. I can't. Ben, 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 I condemn Hamas, but I don't condemn Baba Ganoush. <laughs> This yeah. is on the main show. And on that note, <laughs> Sorry. I think that's somebody's God telling me. I think you went too far. <laughs> Did I go too far? Uh, no, this is all live. We're doing it live. Okay. Uh, yeah. Catherine, you Catherine, you, I want you to hear this because this is the sound of the regents coming after me. Yeah, I like the. Uh, I like. Uh, Jeb's comment. Uh, has it been longer than four hours since you last condemned Hamas? <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you lose tenure. There you, go. You, want you know what I say? Come at me, bro. Come at Thank you guys for hanging out. The link for the champagne room is already up. I didn't send it to you guys because I figured you guys all wanted to keep your jobs. Does anybody want to hang out in the champagne room? I will happily, I will happily hang out in the It's going to be room. a slew of bad jokes and vulgarity. If you guys want to hang out, I have Jesus, Jason, I already said yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to keep selling me. You, you had him at hello. <laughs> Ray, are you hanging out? Send me the link. I'm not sure that I can, but um, okay. I kind of want to dip in. Okay. Right. I have to go. I have to go to dinner. But okay. Bye, guys. Happy guys. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Peace. Halloween. Peace. Bye.